Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. I am a religion recovery coach who helps people with life after religion. And this podcast allows people to share their stories of abuse and religious trauma in various religions and cults. Some guests come on the show to discuss specific topics to educate and bring awareness. Discussions will range from purity culture, mental health, religious trauma, Christian culture, deconstruction, spirituality, and much more. Now, let's get into this episode of Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to have Kate West on the show today. And for people who do not know Kate West, she is a writer and editor in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Her work has been published in Religion Dispatches for the Genre and Hawaii Pacific Review. And she writes about her journey out of the stay-at-home daughter movement at katewest.com. She currently serves on the editorial board of Tears of Eden, which is a nonprofit providing resources for survivors of spiritual abuse. Thank you so much, Kate, for coming on the show today. Thanks for inviting me, Andrew. I'm excited to talk to you. Of course. I'm excited to have this conversation. So what was your life like in religion as a child and being a stay-at-home daughter? A long, very long story, but we'll yes. try. <laughs> um, I was born into a Christian family and mm-hmm. baptized into a Presbyterian church. And the stay-at-home daughter piece didn't come until I was older. Because when I was younger, I would say I had a fairly typical evangelical experience of church, Sunday school, church every week, up until I was 10 years old around and my family started getting into more fundamentalism, more extreme mm. religion at that point. So church has always been a part of my life. And I, looking back now, I can see those points where it became more and more harmful. I don't think all parts of it were harmful, but definitely the way my family went, it got in, into the weeds of fundamentalism. Yes. And so could you talk about some of the beliefs that you were exposed to growing up and how that affected you? Like in the fundamentalism part? Yes. Um, when I was around 10, we started getting into what I call now the Christian patriarchy movement, which believes that fathers are the heads of the household and they're the representative of the family before God. And so everyone else in the family submits to the father, particularly the wife and then the children under them. And that world believes that women are subservient to men. They will say things like women are equal before God, but they play different roles. You know, that it's kind uh-huh. of a typical complementarian view. It's taken to the extreme. Women don't really have a choice. They don't aren't able to have jobs or in my case, go to college. It's just, it's really sad when I hear like people and especially, you know, women. And I know we were saying earlier, the patriarchy affects both genders, most definitely. But just seeing how women are just treated as objects 
just things to be used. Yeah. You're taught as a child, I was taught when you grow up, your job is to get married and have mm. children. And my whole idea of who I was now I belong to my father. When mm. I get married, I belong to my husband. So there's no uh, sense of your own agency. You don't own yourself. You're always mm. owned by a man, but they don't use the word own, obviously, because they're more sneaky about it, but essentially <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> Did you go along with the stay at home daughter movement? Did you internally want to do that? Or did you feel coerced and manipulated? How did that make you feel that your parents wanted you to stay at home until you got married? When the idea was introduced, I was so young that I hadn't even started thinking about Hmm. potentially dating or relationships in that sense. So it was drilled into my mind before I could even process my own feelings about sexuality. So it was just a given that this is what your life will be like. Mm. And the stay-at-home daughter movement was saying that girls, once they get to be the age of an adult, they stay home with their fathers until they get married. And I was told that's what God's will was. Mm. I obey my father. That makes God happy. And so it's the spiritually abusive aspect of it. Mm -hmm. It makes you believe that's the right thing to do. So I believed it was the right thing to do. However, there was this inside part of me that didn't enjoy staying Mm. home. And Mm. I wanted to go to college and I wanted to explore the world and learn all the things, but I wasn't allowed to do that. And I was very restricted. So I didn't have a lot of exposure. I had this hidden part of me that wanted to. Mm leave but I didn't know how to vocalize that or really how to leave at all so yes and no yes I went along with it because I believed that's what God wanted over Mm. time I realized that these are people telling me what to do not God wow yeah it's just it's so sad when you live in an environment where you cannot express who you are because developmentally we need relationships and like true community where we are seen heard and understood so even though legally I was an adult I didn't understand that I was an adult or that I had rights or oh my god so I was treated like a child until I was 25 when I got out so oh my gosh yeah that's why children rights matter so much because children should learn that they have rights and especially as they become of age they have choices Yes, and that's the thing. These environments, they don't train you to have autonomy or critically think. They train you to conform and be dependent on that system and to stay in it. Yeah. And they don't want you to function outside of that group. But yeah, it's like, oh my gosh, like that's wow. Not until you were married. You weren't an adult mm-hmm. until you're married. Wow. I'm still yeah. like processing that. Oh wow. So like that that just puts so much pressure on you then to get married as soon as possible. Then. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And I had a lot of friends in the movement who did get married very young. Mm. My parents moved to Hawaii, which was very isolated. And we didn't mm. have a lot of eligible young men who were in the right religion for uh, me to marry. So yeah. I never, I didn't meet anyone who could go into a courtship with me until I was Mm -hmm. older. So I was just kind of stuck there just Mm. waiting, but you're told God, God has it all planned out. So you just wait and 
we'll work it out. I see. Yeah. And so it sounds like your parents had so much control over who you courted. And I guess for people listening who don't know, could you explain what courting is? Because I know what it is, but I know there's some might be some listeners who have no idea what that means. <laughs> sure. Specifically in the stay at home daughter movement, you're taught that dating is practice for divorce. So dating is worldly. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to do the biblical model, which is called courtship. And I've known a lot of people who use that term and they do it differently. In my Mm. household, we followed the courtship guide that was written by this man named John Thompson. And it was basically like all these questions that you go over with your suitor, but you go over them with your father. So in my case, when I had my first courtship, it was my father had to agree to everything and he had control over the whole relationship. So I never had alone time with the guy. And we mostly just talked with my dad about really personal things. But to have a parent <laughs> there, like I can just, oh my gosh, I was, I'm just finishing up a psychology course this week actually and there's so many connections that I'm making as I'm reading about it to religion and different things and applying it to my own life and today I was taking notes about social influence and talking about how we are influenced in the presence of certain people and just imagining being in that situation of how much having a parent in their room affects Mm-hmm. how much you can express yourself. And obviously in your environment, in these toxic religious environments, you're not allowed to be yourself or express your own opinion. So like having yeah. that parent in the room really like changes or you have to put, you have to put on that mask in front mm-hmm. of them. You can't be yourself. You have to be careful about what you say. It's not authentic and it's hard. It's hard to make connections with people when you can't be authentic or you can't, be yourself at all oh my gosh yeah and it it's all about control Mm, Um, yeah especially for my father he has a lot of narcissistic tendencies so he wanted Mm. to control the whole relationship and Mm. to the point where he said having emotions for this person would be sinful so like Uh you talked about connection you're not supposed to have connection all you're doing is figuring out if you check the boxes of do you like, want to do homeschooling? Do you believe in birth control? Stuff like that. And if all the boxes are checked, then you can get married. And then once you become betrothed to get married, that's when you're allowed to have emotions, emotional huh. connection. So it's very twisted. It's very wow. Oh wow. Health. No, it's not healthy at all. And that just it makes me so sad in these religious environments where our humanity, our human needs are just completely denied, ignored, or is just seen as, and people are listening, this is an air quotes, sinful, because mm-hmm. um, that's, oh my gosh. And so I'm just curious because it's really creepy to me of like how in these environments, fathers are just enmeshed with their daughters, it seems, like, and how obsessed they are. Like I've heard stories of like dads and daughters going to some kind of like purity Mm -hmm. ceremony or something and like promising that she'll save her virginity. And it's weird saying I'll do it for my daddy or whatever. It's just, 
could you dig a little bit into that dynamic? Yeah, it's very strange now that I'm looking back on it, but you're taught so many weird things in Christian patriarchy and stay home mm. daughter movement of like, you're practicing as a girl, you're practicing to be a stay at home mother, right? So mm. that's why you're a stay at home daughter. You're serving your father and mm. practicing uh. being a wife. You know what I mean? And in, in, in terms of I would get my dad coffee and I would iron mm. his clothes. My whole job was like serving my father as practice for mm. serving my husband. And it's just strange now because that's just inappropriate, I think, um, yeah. on, on many levels. Yeah. In these environments, you're groomed to mm-hmm. accept these strange behaviors and strange rules that they enforce on you in this very isolated and closed environment. Where did you begin to even question and how did that lead you to finally leaving at 25? It took me so, it took me a long time, obviously, mm-hmm. because I was so isolated. I didn't mm-hmm. have a lot of incoming information of other ways of life. Didn't have my own. I didn't have a driver's license till I was nineteen, I think. And at, even then, I didn't get my own car. I could, yeah. I could use the car like one day a week because I was allowed to teach piano lessons. Oh wow, allowed. That's yeah, just, wow. <laughs> that was my one way to make money. So if I didn't have that, I, I probably would have taken me much longer to get out because mm. a lot of it is financial. You don't mm. have the ability to move out. If you have no job experience, no income, you're stuck. But for me, I have always been a questioner of things. Ever since I was little, I would ask questions like, why would God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son? That seems really weird. I would hold on to those questions, even though they were explained away. They weren't explained in ways that made sense to me. As I got older, the questions got bigger. And as I became an adult, my dad became more and more controlling of me. And I realized how unhappy I was. Mm. I was suffering from depression and I was losing a lot of weight because I wasn't eating. Mm. And then I started sneaking my parents alcohol and thinking about suicide Uh. and all these things. And then it, those were very big red flags. Something is very wrong. This is what God wanted. Then why am I feeling like this in my core, I knew something was off. Mm. And then there was just a couple people who would ask me, are you okay? And they didn't Mm. want to, they didn't get too deep into my lifestyle, but they noticed that something was strange because we Mm. are very good at keeping the weird things away from other people. And just the fact of them asking, like, are you okay with this struck something in me and and made me think maybe something, maybe I'm not okay. And maybe that matters because you're taught that your feelings don't matter. So when I realized, oh, my opinion does matter. This is the rest of my life. Maybe if I have a choice over that, I would be a lot happier and a lot healthier. That started me thinking about it and then saving up money from teaching piano and just years of thinking and deconstruction. And I went through that first courtship and my dad put an end to that and Then I had a second courtship that lasted a week and my dad put an end to that. And I was just ready to get out because I felt like he, he didn't want me to be happy. He wanted to Mm. keep control over me. Yeah. It's so interesting because I've seen a pattern 
of narcissistic people clinging to these belief systems and i have different ideas about why but could you do you want to dig into a little bit like why do narcissistic people end up in these religions that's a very good question i feel like it's very complicated i'm it sure is. you yeah. thought a lot about this as you've studied psychology and mm -hmm. i do think that hierarchical religions are attractive to people who want control and my father is definitely somebody who who likes to control everything in his environment including the people when i was younger we had a very typical type of evangelical church but every time we moved churches it became more and more strict mm. uh, until the point we were in a basically what i would call a cult oh yeah wow uh, very controlling pastor, very spiritually mm. abusive. And I think my father found an outlet for him to have control and then say that God wanted him to have the control. So he had the divine justification mm. to do that. And I think that yeah. gives even more power when you can add religion to it. I don't think everybody in those types of situations are narcissistic, but I do mm. think a lot of people are, they are attracted mm -hmm. to that. Yes, it was definitely, and the, the patriarchal theology that just gives this authority and power to men without accountability. And it's interesting because God's supposed to be at the top, but in reality, the men are just doing whatever they want and using right. their, their titles or twisting scripture or just using the Bible in general um, to justify not being held accountable or justifying their behavior but yeah i definitely agree with what you're saying how like that is a narcissist dream is to have a position of power and in addition to that not being held accountable any other authority um period and to told that you can have women subjected to you <laughs> and submitting to you is just it's what they love and yeah. to narcissists People are objects. Interactions are very transactional. No empathy is involved in their interaction with people. But so I know you said you were saving to get away. So what was your plan as you were saving? Like how you had not been out of this cult and this high demand and high control environment. So how, what were the, what was the process of you getting out of that environment? I first started thinking up this plan. I have an older brother who left the church when he was 17. He joined the army. So at that point he was living in Pennsylvania and I had talked to him about maybe coming to live with him and maybe someday going to college and just kind of like toss that idea around on the phone when I could call him. So I was thinking about something like that, but at the same, around the same time, I had this, I had the second courtship and that's the man that I'm now married to. So I met him, he, we had been friends for a long time and we both fell in love. And then I started thinking, I don't really want to leave because we were living in Hawaii. I don't want to leave all the way to Pennsylvania and leave this chance where I feel like I have this really deep connection with this person. Maybe I'll stick around for a little bit longer. So I had to do the courtship thing and my dad didn't 
put a stop to that. And we basically had a secret relationship and decided at some point we should get married. And so he moved here to Michigan where he was from to start saving some money. And then I saved as much money as I could with piano lessons and moved out to Michigan and we got married here. So that was the, the way I did get out. It wasn't my original plan, Mm -hmm. but I'm really happy with the way it turned out because my husband has seen where I came from and he knows all the hardship that I had to go through just to get out. So it's really meaningful to have a partner who understands. Yeah. And it doesn't sound like he subscribes to that patriarchal theology. At that point, we were going to a different church that wasn't quite culty, like the one I was in, in, in as a teenager. Mm-hmm. He was in the church. We played music together for worship. He was much less restrictive about women. He never subscribed to the idea that women were less than men and mm. treated me as an equal person. And from the beginning, I just knew that he cared about me as a person and not as, as an object or property. Yes, that's. I'm so glad y'all were able to find each other. And so when you left, were you on good terms with your parents or what were their feelings about you? Because since you technically did, you got married, so you were allowed to leave their theology or their beliefs. What was that like? My mother has always been supportive of me. I think she has been in a difficult position, but I always felt like she was there to help me as I was leaving, whatever way she could. And my father obviously didn't approve. Mm. He didn't give us his blessing. Uh. We asked for it and he didn't want to do that. Eventually he did decide to come to our wedding. And I think part of that was to save face with family members didn't understand what had happened when he came to the wedding it was all like nothing had ever happened we had never fought and he had never been abusive it was just Mm. like oh I'm so happy for you and so Mm. we played that game for a few years where we didn't talk about what had happened because there was a lot of emotional abuse those last Mm. few years that I lived with my parents but eventually I started talking online about what had happened to me and that's when he eventually cut me off and decided not to have contact with me anymore. Mm. So I think that's okay. I've settled within myself with that. I still have a relationship with my mom, mm. but yeah, I'm happier the way things are because I'm not worried about pleasing him or making him happier. Mm. I'm not afraid of what to say. So since leaving, what in your life else in your life has changed and influenced the work that you're doing now? It took me a while to process what had happened to me and to even Mm. understand like what abuse is. So I did a lot of like self-education and just a lot of Mm -hmm. reading right after and processing and going to therapy because Mm. I have PTSD Mm. and I had to process, I've had to process a lot of that and that's ongoing healing. Mm. Um, But at some point I realized that telling my story publicly was healing for me. It was helping me connect with other people who had been through similar things. And that just made it feel more meaningful to me that I'm doing something with my experience. Mm -hmm. And I know everyone's in different situations. Some people aren't able to speak up. And because I'm not afraid anymore of 
mm. being harmed, I feel like I'm in a position that I can speak up. Mm. Um, and so I was asked to join the editorial board for Tears of Eden, which you mm. mentioned at yeah. the beginning. And mostly I help other survivors tell their stories on our website by writing mm. them out and wow. sharing them. And that's really meaningful to me because I really believe that being able to voice what happened to you is part of the healing process, both for yeah. you and for other people. So I feel like I can't take back what happened to me, but I can do something with it in my future. So uh, yeah, it's been a big part of me coming out. Mm. All of it. It's been about 10 years now. Wow. Yes. Like I relate to so much to what you're saying. And I think to me, I think I say like, it's turning your pain into purpose. Mm -hmm. It's just really what I've done since I've left too, because um, there's a lot to grapple with when you leave. There's a grieving yeah. process you have to go through too. I interviewed Tia Levings several weeks ago oh, and there is, yeah. I love her. And there is one thing she said, and I'm paraphrasing, and like when I listen to the episode, I am going to write it down and I'm going to turn <laughs> it into a post and I'm going to repost the crap out of it because it was such a great thing that she said. But it was like she was talking about the abuse that she endured in that religious environment. And she said some something like they gave me or no, they they took so many things away from me. They harmed me in so many ways, but they gave me this story. So yeah. I'm going to use this story to help other people. It was something yeah. like that. And it was so powerful. And that's what I see a lot of in the deconstruction community. And it is healing to you when you tell your story and to others, because people see their story in your own. And really what I say to people when I talk about my story, I would, I always say, I'm like, my story is unique to me, but my experiences sadly are not unique right. to me. Yeah. And a lot of these things are happening all across the U S and all across the world. But I have, yeah, I've greatly enjoyed this conversation. And is there any part of your story that you want to cover or dig more into? Do you have any other I know you've talked to Ashley Easter about stay-at-home daughters a little mm -hmm. bit. Do you have any more questions about that background, that movement? Oh, yeah. So who? when did the stay-at-home daughter movement start? When was that a thing? I would say my experience would be like the late 90s, late mm -hmm. 2000s was when it yeah. was taking off. And Vision Forum, I'm sure you've heard of. Yeah. Uh, ministry slash catalog slash cult really was a big proponent of that ideology mm. uh, and they even made a documentary called return of the daughters i don't know if you've heard of this i have not no that's interesting it's called a documentary but really it's propaganda it's they interview all these stay-at-home daughters with their fathers and the daughters are talking about how they believe they're following God and living an mm -hmm. alternative lifestyle. And I watched it again recently and just, it just hurts to watch it because I can see mm. that they don't really have a choice in talking about this. No, I'm sure they had different ideas behind the scenes of what mm. it really felt like, but they had to put on a good face and talk about it. Like it was their choice. So mm. it's very, it's very 
abusive in the way that it makes you agree with what your abusers want. Yeah, when your abuser yeah, is right there beside you, of course, you're going to say that you love being with them. And there's so much pressure and like mm-hmm. punishment if you don't well, conform to that. And so how do they use the Bible to justify this abusive dynamic? A lot of it is taken from the Old Testament uh, story oof. of Isaac and Rebecca was used a uh, lot. Abraham sent his servant to their relatives in another mm-hmm. town to go find his son, Isaac, a wife, Yeah, Isaac. And Rebecca agreed. And they really like to highlight that point of she's consenting to this marriage to the stranger. Mm. And so he brings her back and they get married. And mm. it was God's plan for the, for Abraham to set this up. That was one story. A lot of old Testament stories like that, that weren't really meant to be taught as doctrine, historical kinds of stories of in the old Testament, but they were used as we have to follow this to the letter. Uh, but of course it was cherry picked verses. They didn't really talk about Ruth too much because she was all alone. She didn't have a dad <laughs> to get her a husband. Yes. Stories like that is what they would use. And just kind of biblical literalism in general, like everything mm. was taken very literally in the old Testament. Thinking through that, were there teachings in the church at moments that really bothered you? And I know you said earlier, the issue of people praising Abraham for being willing to murder his son. So what other things are teachings or were there things that like bothered or even though you might not have been able to give that language to it then? I could pick up on the hypocrisy picking <laughs> certain verses because it's like all these patriarchs that you're pointing to they had multiple wives basically sex slaves in the case mm. of solomon so i always was like why are we following their courtship rules if they married a lot of women like <laughs> we're not allowed to do that anymore and so it's very confusing and but there is this one story in the old testament of there's this father who goes, I believe, to war, and he makes his promise, like, when I come home, if God gives me the battle or something like that, when I come home, I'll, I'm going to sacrifice the first thing I see. And when he comes home, it's his daughter. So I was reading this as a child, not understanding, like, all these terrible things. And this story is, I've heard different interpretations of it, but in my experience, I was taught that he sacrificed his daughter by be, because he had promised to, and his promise to God was more important than the life of his daughter. Mm-hmm. So it was really twisted. And that just, I don't think that should sit right with anybody. Hearing that as a daughter, it's, oh, I better keep it together because <laughs> God is more important than I am. My dad will, is willing to do anything to make God happy, mm-hmm. basically. So it keeps mm-hmm. you in mind if you're afraid. Uh, yes. That is one of the stories that I I never remembered growing up, but as I deconstructed and I read about it, I was like, oh my gosh, like no one ever talked about this. I know. Yeah. And if, if you read certain passages, like from a female perspective, like women in the Bible don't really get to have happy endings too often. No. There are so many abused women murdered and assaulted all over these passages yeah. are taught it's just like you're ingesting that as you're discovering yourself as a woman 
Mm. And it becomes this internalized misogyny. I understand that Christians have appropriated a lot of Jewish culture. So I don't want to speak to Judaism. In the Christian reading of those passages, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's used against women to keep them quiet, to keep them submissive, to keep them controlled, basically. Mm. And it's just not a great way to grow up. Mm, No, not at all. Wow. What is your faith like now if you have any or do you have a spirituality or is that something that you talk about or I when I left I still believed the core what I would call like the gospel Uh and my husband and I went to church for quite a while after we Mm -hmm. moved um and that's something that we're still figuring out yeah this is a couple I I personally a couple years ago decided I don't want to go back to church. It's just so triggering to me. Uh Like I, I, the amount of anxiety I have just going Mm. into a church building. Mm. And I think that my spirituality has also changed. And I I don't want to say this leads to this, but for Uh me personally, I don't believe a lot of that anymore. I still Mm. am open to the idea of something divine, but I don't know if organized religion is something I'll ever go Mm. back to. And Mm. that's just where I am right now. I can't promise what it will be tomorrow. And I finally feel okay with that. It feels Mm. a lot safer to me than it did when I was just paranoid about whether I was one of God's elect. I feel more spiritual in a sense without having men telling me what to do to get close Mm. to God. Yeah just by going outside and being alone mm. and connecting with myself and with the natural world, getting to that quiet place, mm. it feels more spiritual to me than going to church and listening to a man tell me uh, all the things I've done wrong. And I know uh, that people aren't going to like that I say that, but that uh-huh. is my experience. Yeah. Speak your truth. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> I just can't, like, I got to a place where I was like, I don't think if there is a God who created the entire universe that he would want people to be miserable and feel bad about themselves all the time. I grew up very Calvinistic. So you're very depraved, all of that. So I was just like, I don't think a God who would create all of this beauty would then just hate everybody. Mm. They were born human. Mm. It just didn't make sense to me that, that God would be like that. So that's why it's just like, I don't see God in in the kinds of churches I've been in. Yes, I know exactly what you mean, because it was interesting as I've been in therapy, as I tell my therapist about teachings I was subjected to, and he was like, oh, he's like, a lot of this sounds very Calvinistic, Mm -hmm. that like that that utter depravity is a big part of that. And like, for me, that kind of jolted me. I'm like, oh, hmm, if they knew that, they would call that heresy because Calvinism <laughs> was a no-no in the environment, oh, but, but they took a lot from it. Now, as I learned more about it, about, was it called the TULIP acronym? Mm-hmm. As I learned, I'm like, oh, this is in a lot of these spaces. It's infiltrated and influenced whether people want to admit that or not. Yeah. And I remember my dad, long story short, having an argument with a relative who converted Calvinism. He's your church wouldn't exist without Calvinism. It's influenced by so much. So don't, you don't know the history, but that was, that's a whole other thing. That was funny, but you grew up Baptist? A, yeah, I grew up in okay. the, 
independent fundamental Baptist. It's interesting that in my experience, we always said Baptists weren't very good Christians. So it's like we both had similar experiences with religion, but they're just fighting each other. It doesn't make sense. It's so funny. Yeah, when I have these conversations, like the group dynamics are all the same. It's like it's the yeah. us, us versus them mindset, the demonizing of anyone who believes differently. People who disagree are going to hell the elect or the chosen ones or we're the children of God or oh like maybe they have Christianity but our version is better and we're more right, right or, and it's just it's been in a sense relieving to see the same dynamics play out in all these groups and be like oh you're not so special yeah <laughs> your group is not you don't have access to this absolute truth that you claim or this answer but the thing is, they convince a lot of people they do, and that's how they control so yeah. many people in the isolation and keeping away from other beliefs or groups of people. But as we get towards the end of this interview, what advice do you have for women who are stuck in these abusive religious environments? This is a difficult question because... Mm everyone's situation is different. And if yeah. you're in an abusive relationship, whether that's a spouse or a parent or someone who has that kind of control over your life, it's, I can't give one answer that's going to be right for that person because mm -hmm. safety has a yeah. big part to play. For me, it took a long time to get to a place where I could get out and be safe. Mm -hmm. So I would just say, find people who are safe. There are obviously the domestic violence mm. hotline, the internet is an amazing place. It really helped me find people mm. who are safe and just read as much as you can, get as much information as you can, and then start to trust yourself mm. to make decisions on that. Because the only way you can get out of something mm. abusive is if you start to think for yourself and you trust yourself, mm. you know, no one else is going to be able to get you completely out because I mean a lot of cases in like intimate per partner violence it takes I think maybe I think average seven times for mm. someone to try to leave wow. it's just very difficult to get out of that kind of emotional abuse but don't give up keep trying and there are people who can help you it's just mm. very it's very difficult especially when religion is involved it's you also have this belief that you want to honor God and God will mm. take care of you, but God doesn't want you to be abused. God doesn't want you to mm -hmm. be in pain. And so don't believe the people who tell you that your mm. suffering is godly. I think that information piece is really important. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for coming on the show and just being so vulnerable and authentic and brave with your story and using it to shed a light on abuse in these situations. I love this podcast and all the incredible people that I get to interview and I get to meet. And for anyone listening, I'm linking Kate's website below her link tree and her social media. So please go follow her work and on her journey and thank you so much kate for coming on the show thanks andrew it's been really great talking oh awesome thank you everyone for listening and this was speaking up with andrew pledger
Thank you for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Your support is much appreciated. Please leave a review and share with friends and family. And if you can, please support me on Patreon. And the link is in my description. Thank you so much for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger.